Well, hello. Come in, come in. We've caught a case. So often we talk about customers and clients, clients and customers, so much so that we lose sight of the fact that they're human. And if we get to know them as a whole complex human being, we might just reveal more insights into their overall behavior. And we can use those insights to create a more interesting, nuanced, and diverse user experience. Today, we're going to be looking at how to do just that. My co-detective has over 15 years of experience in customer research for both B2B and B2C companies to help them transform their customer and user experiences. She has also held UX research consulting roles at Nielsen Norman Group and Forrester Research. Janelle Estes is Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, an on-demand human insight platform that quickly gives companies a first-person understanding of how their target audience behaves throughout any experience and why. And today, Janelle and I are going to be cracking the case of bringing humanity to your UX because we are CX detectives, real cases solved. I'm Liz Mishka Allen, VP and Global Head of Marketing at HGS. Let's get started. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Janelle. I'm really excited to dig in. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into customer experience and what about it excites you? I always say that I didn't mean to end up here. (laughs) It just sort of happened. So I've always been intrigued and interested in people and human behavior. And, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, this field didn't really exist in the way that it exists today. And so I sort of haphazardly arrived here. And I think a lot of people have similar stories. So it was a a matter of really oscillating between a bunch of different business degrees at a business school, somewhere between accounting and economics and finance and marketing. And then I found this really niche degree called information design and corporate communication, which, and I took the route of web design. So it was a little bit of, you know, web experience and the best way to communicate information, all of those sorts of principles. But I had a really hard time getting a job when I graduated. Everybody was coming to my school and and recruiting people for finance jobs at the big four, accounting firms, et cetera, et cetera. And I couldn't get placed. And so I ended up finding a friend who worked at Forrester Research and she got me in the door uh, as a customer support representative. So I spent the first part of my career answering customer support phone calls, helping people understand how to log in to the Forrester website, how to find the report that they're looking for. And there was this woman who was running the web team at the time that took me out to lunch once a month. And she would say, what are people calling about? Like, what are you hearing from this month? And that was the first time it clicked with me in terms of how you can take customer feedback, literal voice of the customer and use that to influence and create a better experience, um, especially digitally. And so that was really the start of it piquing my interest. And from there, I went back to grad school. I went to um, Bentley University, the Human Factors and Information Design Program, which was one of the first in the country that really focused on this intersection of cognitive science and design and how to create experiences and design that kind of are built for the way our minds work and process information. So fascinating space. From there, I went on to a bunch of different roles. I was at an agency. I um, was doing information architecture. I joined a software company that was eventually acquired by Pegasystems. And then I went to Nielsen Norman Group, which is a premier UX consultancy founded by Don Norman and Jacob Nielsen. And spent many years there really learning and understanding 
the rigor right behind this work and why it's so important. And then towards the end of my tenure, I started noticing that my work that I had to do on my own and the work of the clients that were coming to the company were asking us to use more remote methods like WebEx and GoToMeeting and uh, user testing. And uh, that was when I was really introduced to um, the user testing company platform. And I was a customer before I joined the team back in 20. Gosh, 2014, it'll be eight years this year. So yeah, I think I'm doing my math correctly. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, customer experience is really about people and serving uh, your customers as people and human beings. And me being fascinated by people and human behavior, it's just sort of a, a natural fit. And I'm, I'm actually so grateful that this industry exists. Because sometimes I really do wonder if I wasn't doing this, what, what would I be doing? <laughs> Now we know Janelle is not just a player in the CX industry, but a pioneer. She has plenty of credentials to help us crack this case. But before we get into it, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by HGS. HGS has renewed its mission as it evolves as a comprehensive digital and CX services partner. HGS is an employer of choice for roles critical to transformation. Digital professionals, data analysts, automation experts, and CX ambassadors. We leverage our experience handling billions of interactions every year to keep pace with rapidly rising expectations in the digital CX economy. Learn more at hgs.cx. All right, welcome back. Let's get into the case. Let's get to know more about user testing and how we can leverage technology to connect more closely with customers. I've seen so much change in the last 20 years in this space. And I can only imagine what the next 20 years will bring. And I think we're just getting started with this whole notion of, you know, helping teams that sit behind digital experiences all day, every day that they're creating and supporting and designing, helping those teams actually connect with their customers. It's like what we've introduced with this divide between our customers and our team, that digital property, the problem can also actually be the solution because then you can use digital products and platforms like user testing to bridge that gap, to like reconnect through products like ours. So yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can go off on this tangent because I think it connects to what you, like your sort of ethos, it seems like is, is around the human experience. Like, so yes, it's customer experience, but don't forget that the customer is a human behind it. And that's where the digital experience, we're saying all experiences are digital now. So you have to reconnect to the human that is behind the digital that's behind the customer experience. But yeah, <laughs> totally. And then if you, you hear stories too of different entrepreneurs back in the day, like Sam Walton, like walking the aisles of Walmart, or if you have a local mom and pop shop, like you're talking to and seeing your customers all the time. But then when you start introducing these digital components, these digital experiences, it's not like you can walk the halls of your website and talk to your customers, but maybe someday you can. Like, think about that as a metaphor. Like, it sounds wild, but like, imagine if that wasn't like you could just intercept people on your website and have a conversation with them. I mean, there's some you of that. You totally could. Today. Yeah. Proactive chat is doing that to some extent, right? Yeah. Like, I think it's usually used as like a sales tool rather than like a, hey, what are you doing tool? But it could be. <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely. 
Yeah, so uh, user testing, we are a human insight platform. Uh, we have a platform where our customers are able to connect with their customers, which live within our contributor network, and really ask them about anything. Um, so we can ask them about certain behaviors or habits, how they think about certain topics. We can have them react to new ideas that teams might be exploring. We can have them look at live experiences, mobile apps, websites. We can even have them use competitive experiences, like anything that people can access on the web, we can put in front of our contributors and gather their feedback on. And what makes us different than maybe something like a focus group or a survey is that we're actually capturing what we call customer experience narratives. So this is uh, essentially you get back a video of your customer and whatever they're looking at. Again, that might be a digital property. It might be the way that they're organizing their closet, right? It's like we get their environment and then you also get their face and you hear them talk. You hear them talk about, oh, well, you know, this is the way I set my pantry up, right? And these are the things that are working well for me today. And then these are the things that are not, right? When we're exploring a problem and trying to figure out what's the solution we need to bring to market. We also have, can capture them as they're looking at, you know, maybe booking a flight, right? Just as an example, you get to see the screen where they're clicking and then they talk you through their thought process. Like, oh, I was expecting this to happen or, oh, I really like this or, oh, this is super confusing. I wish it was this way. And so what's nice about that is, you know, you hear a lot about like voice of customer programs. And when you lift under the hood or when you look under the hood of a VOC program, it's just a survey typically, and it's usually NPS. And so the way right. that I like to think yeah. about this and what we do is that we actually deliver the literal voice of the customer. Um, so the output mm -hmm. itself is a couple different things. You get the customer experience narrative, which again is the video of people and you get to see them as they react to different ideas or concepts or the environment. And then we also have machine learning that sits on top of all the videos that we collect that help you understand and identify what we call like moments of insight. So um, we might be collecting you know, a compilation of five hours of video from 30 of your target customers. And then we're able to look at all of those videos, kind of pile them on top of each other to help you see the trends, to help you see the areas that you need to pay attention to, and ultimately to help you get to insight faster. And at the end of the day, help you make decisions faster, move faster, move with urgency to yeah. create better experiences, all of those things. Yeah, this, it's so much of the like the digital experience and the human experience. And I was going to ask you, how does technology play a role, right? Like you're using machine learning to analyze what's happening. So I don't have to sit and watch five hours of video, although I could. <laughs> <laughs> but I can watch the moments, right? I can watch whatever 10 minutes of highlights or I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not in the platform. But I think that that's super important because that's you're still getting that human piece that you're chasing after. But with out having to walk the halls and, you know, sort of quote unquote, waste time. Do you guys have a set of metrics that you use data points that you're like, these are what you need to find. You're looking for this facial expression. Like, how do you teach the algorithm what to look for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's something that we're developing and improving every day. So 
Today, we're not actually analyzing any sort of facial components. And I know that mm-hmm. there are technologies out there, which I find fascinating. And I think probably a whole nother episode uh, for this podcast. <laughs> um, but really, the, what we're looking at today uh, is we're watching and capturing what people are doing and how they're doing it. So where they're clicking, where they're navigating, but also the behavior behind it. You know, you hear concepts like uh, rage clicking or circular clicking. Like we're looking for those (laughs) kind of moments where you can actually glean a little bit of intel from how people are behaving. And then we're also capturing what people are saying, not just what they're saying, but also how they're saying it. So intonation, sentiment, all of those types of things. And we're looking at and trying to triangulate those things to help you arrive at something useful for you to consume. When we think about metrics, though, I like to take a step back and think about it really coming down to what is the thing that you're trying to understand about whatever it is that you're trying to get feedback on, right? So for example, if it's, I need to make sure that people can find particular information that they need. To me, the metrics that I want to look at are can people find it? Like, were they successful? How quickly could they find it? Right. Like, how efficient were they? Were they going in circles mm-hmm. before they found it? And then um, how enjoyable was that experience? And those are sort of like the three areas that I would look at and try to triangulate from a data perspective of when I'm trying to understand the answer to that question of how easy is it to find this thing? Do most of your customers come to you with a specific question or do they come and they say, something is broken, I don't know what it is, and you guys help kind of identify the issue and then how to solve it? Or both? Yeah, (laughs) it's a good question. We get all sorts of (laughs) questions and ways that our customers partner with us. So some of our customers will notice things in their data right? They might see conversion rates dropping or they might see maybe NPS isn't as high as they would like it to be. So they're sort of triggered by something and they want to go dig in to understand more. I mean, without the context of understanding your customers as humans and hearing from them of like why they might've given you a low NPS rating or why they're leaving a particular page, you can't make an educated decision of what to do and how to fix it. I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations where, you know, there's an internal team sitting around a conference table pontificating about how to solve a particular problem. It's like, well, I have an idea. Maybe we should go talk to our customers to figure out what's happening (laughs) and, and how we can get some direction that way. So sometimes it's that. And sometimes it's a very acute problem. Other times it's, hey, we're starting this initiative. We're going to you know, relaunch our product development process, or we're going to be rolling out a new app. And we know that we need to pull customer feedback in to every place in this process or workflow, help us figure out how to do that. So those are some of the really interesting engagements that we um, really dive into because it helps our customers set up kind of this programmatic way of doing this regularly, right? And then there's other customers that come to us that are really just trying to understand the space, the market, the customer. So it's not a particular like project per se, and it's not a particular workflow that we're influencing. It's really about bringing that human perspective of customers in to the building and getting this narrative and this story around customers you know, more prolific throughout the organization. So there's so many ways that we engage with our customers. And I think it's a testament, right, to like how far we've come and 
how much green space we have, especially with that last use case of building that company-wide narrative of like who your customers are. Yeah, I think especially with like the rise of the direct-to-consumer companies and a lot of the um, ways that retail has changed, people are saying like, you've built a product, but you didn't even check and see if there was a customer for it. And vice versa, you've solved a very specific need that you had and and you did find a niche audience and it's amazing. But um, something you said sparked a question, how do you get customers who are willing to be user tested, (laughs) which is like, are willing to be videoed and are so engaged in their own customer experience that they're willing to kind of share their insights with the company? And then is there any confirmation bias to that? So like, you know, the thing with online reviews, right? They're either five-star or one-star. Like nobody is having a mediocre experience and going and not nobody, but the very few people are going to be like, man, my experience was fine. Um, They're only interested in telling you if their experience was amazing or awful. So how do you avoid that from happening? We have, it's an opt-in network that we have. So people sign up to be part of our contributor network. So You think about some of the legislation that we're trying to pass. You think about sort of people waking up to the awareness that companies are tracking their every click, move, purchase, whatever. People are becoming pretty protective of their data and companies are serving up the option for them to be protective of their data, right? Like how many times have you been prompted when you download a new app or you go to a website, hey, can we track you? Like, who says yes to that? I mean, to your to your point around who leaves a mediocre review, like who says yes to being tracked? I mean, some of right. us might do it because we're not reading and all of that good stuff, but the average person does not want to be tracked, right? And so with the contributor network that we have at user testing, it's an opportunity for people to be able to opt in to provide feedback because the interesting thing about people and customers is that while they don't want to be tracked, they want to be heard. So I was actually just reading this interesting study around survey fatigue. You know, you've heard the phenomenon, like everyone hates surveys, nobody fills them out, only a small percentage fill them out because they're tired of them. They're too long. Questions are confusing. I forget, and I, I should really have the source, um, but what they what, what the study and research uncovered was that people aren't fatigued by taking surveys. They're actually fatigued by taking surveys, and then the company not actually doing anything with the information. That's what's creating the fatigue. And so if people can feel heard, if they can provide their feedback in a meaningful way where people are listening, people are doing something with the information, uh, it certainly is a compelling um, way to be able to express your feedback. And so the long and short of it too is that all of our contributors, when they provide feedback, our customers are able to rate them in terms of you know, their quality of feedback. And we ensure that our customers are not rating them on whether or not they leave positive feedback or <laughs> negative feedback. They're rating them on their ability to provide mm-hmm. meaningful feedback. Um, and that's really how we balance the confirmation bias there. So do the contributors get to see the results of their work? Do you sort of close that loop for them? Oh, it's an interesting question. We don't do that today. <laughs> But I think it could be really interesting for us to have more of that loop where sort of like, hey, you provided feedback on this. We took this action and then here's the sort of end result. I think that would be super meaningful for people. I know whenever I do something like provide an interview or anything along those lines, like I love to be able to see 
the end result, right? And what I contributed to. So it's a really interesting concept. We haven't um, built that into our product yet, but I now have a new idea to go talk to the product team about. So when you're looking at kicking off an initiative with a customer, who are you normally working with? A chief customer officer, IT, marketing, and how are those teams working together to kind of get the CX initiative across the entire company? I talk to so many different roles. And what I love about the offering and our customer base is that we have something that really can be valuable to anybody who has a customer, anybody who's creating an experience. So like I can give you an example. Yesterday, I talked to the product management leader of an incubation lab at a major financial services company. Earlier yesterday, I also talked to the head of design for a entertainment company. And of course, I talked to innovation folks. I talked to people on marketing teams. I talked to people within product teams. Like it's kind of all across the board. And I think what I kind of take away from that is that we're all interested in, and most roles are interested in incorporating customer feedback into what they do and the decisions that they make every day. But what I find fascinating is that people speak different languages around it. So the way a marketing team talks about this type of feedback and what's important to them is very different than the way a design team might talk about it, which is different from an innovation team. It all goes back to kind of thinking about at the end of the day, (laughs) what are they responsible for? What keeps them up at night? And how does customer feedback play a role in making them successful ultimately and obviously delivering great experiences? So I guess to answer your question, it it is really truly all across the board. And that's what I love about my role in the company is that we are so relevant and there are just so many places to plug this in, so much opportunity. How does um, working with a bunch of different teams contribute to different perspectives, knowing they have different goals. Do you also work with your customers to work through personalization and looking at their different segments of customers? And how do you do that? And how do you take their feedback and create different customer personas? Many of our customers have ICPs or personas or like target segments that they're going after. And we absolutely can filter down who we want to hear from to fit within those profiles and demographics. So if you want to target a teacher in the Midwest who also has a summer job and likes biking, like we can find that particular kind of needle in a haystack, if you will. So that's one use case. What I find fascinating is actually the flip. So when we work with our customers and they have personas or they have these particular profiles that they're after and they have all these assumptions about them. And then when we actually connect them to these people that fit the demographics in the mold, they end up being different than what they expected, right? Different from a behavioral perspective, from the way that they see the world, from the values that they have or how they make decisions. And so again, I think it's certainly a really interesting place where we partner with our customers. Do you have an example? Like, can you think of a recent customer where that happened? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how much I can share, um, (laughs) but it certainly has (laughs) happened lately. And um, what's really interesting about it is that people don't believe you until you actually show them. And I think that's what's so powerful about what we do. So if I go into a meeting and I say, 
you know, Lisa, listen, I know we think a certain way about our customers and our target audience, but listen, I talked to like three of them and they were saying, you know, they totally think about it a different way. And you're like, yeah, okay, it's not whatever. Like, cool. Uh, maybe you'll believe me. Maybe you won't. Hopefully right. you believe me. Um, <laughs> but I, personally if I were to roll in with a couple people where um, I have video evidence of them talking about it and you're able to then connect to them as a person, as a human to understand their story and their narrative. You see it firsthand. There's nothing more powerful than that. Then, you know, because you're able to say, oh yeah, I heard the same thing too. We really need to think about how we think about this. Okay. So I, I have a question that maybe I should have asked earlier. What is the difference in your opinion, between user experience and customer experience? This question gets me uh, every time. <laughs> I think it is a bunch of semantics that people within the industry get wrapped around the axle around. I don't like to think of them as different. It's really about like, okay, so anytime a customer or user interacts with an experience, a brand, a company, something that is created by an organization, that's an experience. And what's important about it is that it's not the experience that you think about through your eyes as the company that created it. It's your customer's perception of the experience. And to me, like I would fight all day long over it being more important to understand your customer's perception of the experience versus the way you as a company think about the experience. That's an argument I could get on board with all day long, but like it's one of those arguments that I tend to sort of like shut down around. Like I just, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. (laughs) I love it. Who cares? Um, Is it a human? Like, come on, let's go. Right? (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's human experience. And then we can just cut out user and customer. Like it is truly the human experience. And I guess you could call it that based on the way I described it. Um, Okay, so what advice would you have for someone who wants to get into better understanding their human experience? Maybe they're not ready to engage user testing. How would they sort of lay the foundation to get to a place where they're really going to understand their human customer users? Sure. Start small. Have a conversation with a customer. I mean, we have some customers that they have... Uh, what they call empathy hours or customer hours where every month people have to spend a certain period of time, an hour or two or more speaking with a customer, connecting with them. They have programs that support that, but it doesn't have to be this massive thing. It doesn't have to be this big thing that's sort of rolled out across the company. Like you can, you know, find the people within your organization that can give you exposure to customers whether it's through a customer support rep, go sit with them for a half of a day and listen to what they're fielding and hearing from customers. Um, If you have a sales team, talk to them. Are there customers they could introduce you to? If you have a product organization and um, maybe you have customer lists and, and other information about people who are using your product that you could tap into, you know, navigate the organization in a way where you can find allies and people that can put you in touch with customers and talk to them. And, you know, of course you want to think about, you just want to show up and and have like a random conversation. You want to have some sort of like guide that you've built or a few topics you want to ask them about. Um, But it can be as simple as that. 
And I think, you know, as you start to see the value, as you start to see um, how your understanding of customers develops over time with that exposure, you start to think about how can we do this more regularly? How can we build it into our programs and workflows? How can we make this so it's just part of what everyone can do and has access to? Um, But I don't think you have to start there. I always warn teams that come to me and say, oh, listen, we are rolling out a whole new process of how we develop product. And we want to make sure that customer feedback is integrated at every step of the process. And really, it's totally possible if your company is set up the right way and is mature enough to sort of handle that. But in many cases, it's a slow evolution. I usually say, please, like, don't try to change everything at once. Don't try to boil the ocean. Find one or two places in that product development flow that you really want people to talk to customers and then find a way to embed it there. Because the challenge is, and the interesting thing about this work is that there's no shortage of places where you can get feedback and there's no shortage of methodologies and different things that you can do. And I think when you're in this space and you're familiar with it, your mind works a certain way. Like people who do this work all the time speak a language and that language is not super accessible or approachable to the common business person. And so what I recommend is that you make it approachable, you make it really easy for people to engage with these types of activities. You don't try to turn everybody into a researcher. What you're trying to do is turn everybody into people who (laughs) wanna make a customer connection. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, some of the more interesting uh, stories that I've seen lately, so HelloFresh is one of our customers and they are um, doing some really interesting things where they have a team of people that really focuses on collecting this type of insight. And then they consider their team as sort of the communicators of this information. So they have something called a monthly insight show. It's a 30-minute session It's a curated video of all the interesting things that they've learned over the course of the month, you know, from their customers speaking out loud and you get to see them and make a connection with them. And it was something that started as sort of like a grassroots thing probably about a year ago. And now it's something where there's demand for it. People show up every month. They then have questions. They want that team to go kind of find out for them. So it's built this following. And what I love about it is that it doesn't require everybody who's interested to go actually do the talking themselves to customers. What it means is that they essentially are just exposing people to customers in a really meaningful way. Yeah, I love that. And it's so fun, right? Like it's back to that, like we're all humans, even the people who are looking for insights on humans. And it's engaging if it's a curated show video. Tell me another story. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, like a couple of years ago, well, maybe more like five years ago now, um, I was at the headquarters for a global fast food company. And I was walking around with the team and they were showing me lots of different parts of the office. And I remember walking by this room and it was like a fishbowl where it had it was all glass. So you could see in it, there were beanbags on the floor, people sitting on beanbags are all staring at these monitors that were hanging down from the ceiling that had all of their social media feeds. And then they also had like the sentiment analysis that kind of sat on top of it. Uh, And they're all sort of like watching in real time how their narrative was shaping across the different social media channels. And I remember walking by that room and thinking like, that's really interesting. But also... Like imagine if they also just had one more monitor there 
that just showed videos of people who just recently interacted with the company or just used their, you know, order in app pickup curbside feature, which they had just launched. Um, to me, that I think it's sort of along the same lines of HelloFresh, right? It's sort of like, how do we get to a place where we're not just over-indexing on all the things people are doing and where they're clicking and, you know, what they're saying on all these different platforms? What if we just reintroduced the customer as a person that sits next to us every day or, you know, provides intelligence to us on an ongoing basis? Like, to me, that's the future. And that's what gets me super excited about what we have in front of us. And I think there's so much room and opportunity for us to like reintroduce the human into the business conversation. Like it's really missing today. Yeah. We had another guest who talked about personifying the customer, right? You never say the customer. They had a name. I forget what it was. Yes. Call it Barney, whatever, right? So, and when you think about Barney rather than the customer, then you get that human element and you're taking it to even the next evolution where you're seeing Barney or whoever, right? And you're seeing this person interact with the brand and then you can kind of understand what's happening rather than, you know, a tweet from star 777, right? Like, I- right. <laughs> totally. And I even <laughs> recommend for our customers who use personas or target profiles, you know, you sometimes hear about back in the day when we were in offices, like you'd have a room and you'd have the personas hung up or they'd be part of, you know, a sprint you'd kick off. And um, I think that's fine. But what I recommend is that in addition to that very flat piece of paper that you go find a bunch of people that fit this demographic and profile and have these behaviors, go talk to them and then attach like that very rich perspective to the persona. So you might have the flat document with all the data, but imagine if you could just sort of like dive in and go have a conversation or hear from this persona. The really interesting thing about personas to me is that we tend to think that everybody who falls into that persona is the same, but there's so much variety within personas. And so imagine if you could go talk to five people that fit into you know, the profile of your key persona, you're going to meet five very different people. And so that really opens people's minds also to say like, you know what, this isn't just a one size fits all. There's so many considerations for us, which can be overwhelming to be fair. Like I think a lot of this is when you're faced with a lot of complexity and like almost like cognitive dissonance between like what you think is true versus what you're actually hearing, like your brain's just like, nope. Like, I don't want to go there. It's, it's like the decision fatigue, It's but it's like the information overload version. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that that's the part people get uncomfortable because it can be a lot. But important, again, that's really how you build the empathy is getting down deep into those more meaningful, rich conversations versus looking at a bulleted list of demographics. This has been amazing learning from Janelle today. Let's debrief. First, Talk to the customer. Set up a contributor network where customers can opt in to providing feedback on specific focus items. Set aside customer hours or empathy hours to have a conversation with customers. Or talk with customer support reps. Ask about what they're hearing from customers. Second, now that you have customer feedback, take action. As Janelle says, don't try to boil the ocean. Instead, focus on one or two areas that need improvement and embed the customer voice there. And third, Make the voice of the customer an ongoing and consistent conversation. 
Go find a bunch of people who fit your target persona and talk with all of them about how they interact with your business. Well, I think we've cracked the case of how to get humans back into the customer experience. Thank you so much for being here with me. We've earned a uh, iced coffee or something over at the HGS pub. If you want to head over there, I'll ask you a couple of quick questions and then we can wrap up. All right. Sounds great. Okay, what is the best user experience, customer experience, human experience you've ever experienced? What are your favorite brands? Who do you think does a really good job? There's a handful that kind of make it to the top of my list, but I will say that I recently sold a vehicle using Carvana. (gasps) Oh my God, I love Carvana. (laughs) And it was pretty slick. Yeah. Everything from getting the price estimate of what they were going to pay to uploading my documents to mm-hmm. meeting the person who then took the car. The whole thing is just like, this is so easy. I don't think I'll ever no, do it. It's so dialed people. in. It's so dialed. It's amazing. Yeah. They're a user <laughs> testing customer, by the way. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. So what still baffles you about people? You've done so much research into humans. You've paid attention to human behavior. Like, What is the single most shocking thing <laughs> that humans still do? Um, I have talked about one day I'm going to do an investigation or some research around human behavior in airports and on airplanes. (laughs) (laughs) There is something really interesting about what people do in those scenarios. If I start talking about it, I'm going to get ragey. So I probably (laughs) stop there. But yeah, truly baffling. It is mind boggling. And it's gotten worse from like (laughs) pandemic, post pandemic air travel. Like what happened? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What happened to decorum? I don't know. Um, So maybe on the lighter side, tell me about you have a pup. You have a French bulldog. Yes, we have a French bulldog. Speaking of pandemic, he was our pandemic puppy. There you um, go. Two years old. <laughs> uh, we actually had two Boston Terriers before we got a Frenchie, and we thought it would be like a really smooth transition, given they sort of look alike and they're kind of, I think, are known to have similar personalities. But um, let's just say I love my Frenchie, but I will be getting a Boston Terrier next. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the dog insurance? Because that's the number one complaint about Frenchies. Oh, <laughs> really? Expense. Yeah. Because they're like kind of inbred. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, oh my God, he, um, he hasn't been very expensive to date, um, but he has just, yeah, he's a character. He is a little bit of a princess. He's, um, <laughs> he's obsessed with my husband and um, he sees me sort of as his, like, I think his main like competitor. And so he and I have an interesting relationship. <laughs> dog behavioralist your next frontier to conquer (laughs) yes there we go all right well thanks again for being on the show and helping me crack this case you've been an amazing co-detective um and it was lovely hearing all of your insights so thank you awesome thanks lissa thanks for having me this was fun (laughs) thank you for listening to cx detectives brought to you by hgs If you liked what you heard today, tell a friend, a colleague, the guy at the airport charging all of his devices and monopolizing the outlet. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
Next time there's a CX case to be solved, we'll be there. This podcast is brought to you by HGS, a global leader in optimizing the customer experience lifecycle, digital transformation, and business process management. HGS is helping its clients become more competitive every day. Learn more at hgs.cx.